for homiletic emphasis, John 15 and 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You love one another as I have loved you. A lens of love. You could tell a lot by a person by the company he keeps. Many of us have heard this saying. Or maybe this one. If you lie down with dogs, you'll come up with fleas. My father provided such relationship advice all the time. He was full of aphorisms. For instance, appealing to my love of basketball, he once said, son, check your starting five. If your five closest friends with whom you spend the most time don't encourage you, strengthen you, and improve the level of your game, then you should find a new starting lineup. There's wisdom in these words. As you and I move through life, our most intimate relationships feed our spirits. These friendships inform our habits. Our relationships constitute our character. Think about people you know who are always negative. If they're breathing, that means they're complaining. The person who's always has something bad to say about somebody else. When you ask them how they're doing, they begin with the litany of their illnesses and their ailments. If it's a rainy day, they cry for more sunshine. If the sun's shining, they lament that we haven't had enough rain. Like the character Pigpen who hung around Charlie Brown. Some people always have a cloud of filth and negativity around them. Think about what happens when we're around people like this for too long. Before you know it, we start complaining about Miss Anne across the street. Our arthritis flares up and all of a sudden we begin to hate the rain and loathe the sun. Negativity infects us like a virus. Our relationships constitute our character. Yet similar is true for those of us who try to practice healthy habits. This is why we join book clubs. This is why we have workout partners. This is why students join study groups and writers participate in writing workshops. Because if we want to live a positive and productive life, then we need to make sure that we're around people who are positive and productive. Relationships matter. Check your starting five. But there's a potential danger to this otherwise sound advice. Yes, we should all keep good company, but what happens when our voluntary associations begin to wall us off from one another? Our starting five starts to look more like an elite enclave, an exclusive club, 
an aristocratic assembly. We can only recognize worth in our voluntary peer group. We can only identify value among those we consider quote-unquote successful. We can only see the humanity of those who are most like us. Relationships constitute our character. My brothers and sisters, Jesus provides a healthy corrective in today's gospel lesson. Jesus commands his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Now this is Jesus talking to his disciples, a motley crew who could hardly be considered the socially creme de la creme. Ah, there's a tax collector in the group. Matthew, Matthew who found employment with the most despised among Judean society. Tax collectors worked for the Romans to collect heavy assessments from imperial subjects and they were always were known for taking a little bit off the top. Jewish tax collectors contributed to the exploitation and oppression of their own people on behalf of the imperial power. Yet when Jesus looked at Matthew, he didn't see his profession. He saw his potential. He saw a desperate man making choices, not under, under conditions, not of his own choosing. And with an outstretched arm of grace and a hand of mercy, Jesus said to Matthew, let me teach you about a kingdom where love and justice supersede abuse and exploitation. Let me show you what respect and power looks like in my father's kingdom. Relationships constitute character. There was the impulsive and hard-headed Peter. Recall this is the disciple who would often act before thinking. That was Peter who thought he could walk on water like Jesus and almost drowned himself. Uh, it was Jesus. When Jesus told of his execution, Peter's the disciple who pulled Jesus aside to chastise him. Man, what are you talking about? Don't you know I have your back? When the guards showed up to get Jesus, Peter's the one who started cutting off folks' ears. And it was Peter who was at the Last Supper bragging, I'll never deny you, Jesus, you're my man. Yet he was the first to say, No, I, I don't know that, that guy up on that cross. I could keep on going about this motley crew of characters that Jesus surrounded himself with, but the point that I'm trying to make is this. Jesus loved the disciples not because of who they were, but more importantly, I want to think based upon what they could become. Jesus didn't judge them only based upon their past and their present actions. But in each one of his followers, Jesus saw potential. Jesus saw a purpose. And most importantly, Jesus saw God's plan of redemption in their lives. Thus, Jesus, oh, he could look at their faults and he could see their needs. And I don't know about you today, but I am so glad 
I'm so glad that I serve a God who sees me not as the world sees me. I'm glad I serve a God that sees me not even as I see myself more often than not. Oh, for sure, you and I, we try to act like we have it all together. Most of us spend an inordinate amount of time covering up and concealing our actual and our presumed flaws. We're scared that at any moment someone will stand up and say, the emperor doesn't have on clothes. She's a fake. He's a phony. Some of us, we're smiling on the outside. We exude confidence. We present moral character. But we're singing with Smokey Robinson. If you take a good look at my face, you'll see that my smile looks out of place and if you look closer it's easy to trace the tracks of my tears and the depths of my fears that's why i'm glad that i serve a god who loved me first a god who sees me through the lenses of love and grace a God who looks past my many imperfections and sees my potential. Looks beyond my problematic tendencies and sees my promise. Looks beyond my past and sees what's possible. Maybe this is what Jesus means when he tells his disciples, love one another as I've loved you. The command may be less about how we treat one another and more about how we view one another. For when we see one another through the lenses of love, we see as God sees. Because when we see one another through the lenses of pride, conceit, and vanity, we're more given to injustice, intolerance, and illiberality. But when we view one another through the lenses of love with empathy and understanding, we become more inclined to treat one another with grace, generosity, and gratitude. We become swift to love. We make haste to be kind. And in return, we're slower to judge and we're even more hesitant to condemn one another. Love one another as I have loved you. See one another in the way that I first saw you. That's what God is saying to its disciples here. Now, let me be clear about something. Let me be clear. I'm not suggesting, my brothers and sisters, that we should tolerate any and all behavior. Punishment has its place even within the moral framework of love and justice. Punishment is a marker of accountability. Punishment can serve as a corrective force. Consider mass protests and boycotts. 
when consumers punish companies and businesses that discriminate by withholding their dollars, protests are, protesters are making a declarative moral statement. They're saying bias and bigotry toward anyone will not be tolerated in our community. Consider the current Me Too movement. Courageous women have exposed the quotidian nature of sex, sexism and patriarchy. Seeing high-profile men lose their jobs and convicted of crimes against women has forced all of us to take a step back and reconsider our daily interactions and challenge what we once considered acceptable behavior. Or even consider even think about the many professionals who have lost their jobs due to racist or homophobic rants on social media. School teachers, politicians, police officers have lost income for succumbing to the behest of their own bigotries. And in the process, many of us have learned that the question is not about whether we are quote unquote politically correct or not but the question involves what it means to be a decent human being. Punishment has its place. Punishment, it corrects, it reforms, it deters. And any parent will tell you that constructive punishment is an expression of love. Unfortunately, my friends, I fear that we live in a society where punishment has become more closely aligned with retribution than rehabilitation, avengement rather than amendment, and retaliation as opposed to reform. Could this be why God calls us to an ethic of loving our enemies? For whenever we desire their defeat or their annihilation, we are in fact destroying ourselves. Revenge proves to be its own executioner. It's been said that whenever we begin a journey of revenge, we ought to start digging two graves, one for our enemy and one for ourselves. But in the words of Marcus Aurelius, the best revenge is to be unlike the one who performed the injustice in the first place. As Martin Luther King Jr. eloquently put it in his letter from a Birmingham city jail, we must be more concerned with defeating evil systems and unjust acts than annihilating people. Our goal should be toward reforming behaviors in hopes of moving toward reconciliation toward the end of beloved community. For the best way to defeat an enemy is to make a friend. This only comes, my brothers and sisters, when we begin to look at one another in all of our faults and in all of our injustice and in all of our complicated problematic ways and see one another the way God sees us, with grace and with generosity. Love one another as God loves us.
Think about this as you leave this sanctuary today. How many times have you harbored bias and bigotry? How many times have you perpetuated injustice and incivility? How often are you guilty of pretentiousness and pomposity? Vanity and vaingloriousness. If you're like me, it's probably more often than you like to admit. But that's why I'm glad this morning. That's why I have joy. I'm glad that I serve a God who sees me through the lenses of love, a God who loves me not because of, but in spite of myself. And because of this love, I can say with confidence, I may not be what I ought to be, but I thank God that I'm not what I used to be. For this is how God sees me. This is how God sees us. And you and I ought to go do likewise. Love one another as God loved us.